But thanks for the opportunity to be here. I met uh, Pastor Paul last year, I think it was, sometime. And uh, we, we, we actually shared the same cabin in this place we were together. So we got to know each other a little a bit. And he said, come preach at the church sometime. So here I am. I was actually here a few months ago. I didn't preach, but I was here. And some people went up onto a rooftop, I think, as part of the rooftop global encounter that we did. And so I'm back today. I'm not, I haven't come to preach about the rooftop today. I'm going to speak about something a little different, but still Jesus. It'll still be all about Jesus. But I just wanted to give you a bit of an insight into uh, who we are and what we do. I, um, my own story, very quickly, this is a very quick version of it. I, I, I come from the east side of London, and uh, where I live, and where I've always lived pretty much, most people never go to church. Um, I never went to church as a young person at all. Um, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't even know that I didn't go to church. I didn't know there was a church to go to. I knew nothing about it. And that's true of most people living in England. Often people in America think that England is a very Christian country. You see the big cathedrals and all these old churches. And they, oh, this wonderful Christian country. Well, let me just give you a glimpse into that. A hundred years ago in England, 94% of people were connected with church. Now, it's less than 4%. And probably even lower than 3% if we're really honest about it. People have no idea at all. And they, they don't go to church, their parents never went to church, their grandparents never went to church, their great-grandparents never went to church. That's what it's like where I live. People don't even know they don't know Jesus. But let me tell you something, God still wants to reach them. And so I became a Christian having never been inside of a church. My boss came into work one day and put a book down on the table and said, you should read this book. And I looked at the book and it was called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I thought, why is my boss giving me a religious book? I'm not religious, I don't do that. If it had been a book about cars or girls, yes, but religion, I wasn't interested in that at 19 years of age. But I read it, if I had the long version, I could tell you all about it. Here's the very quick version. I read it eventually because my train was delayed one morning on the way into work. So I took it out of my bag and I read it. And I, then I started reading it. I read it for about eight months, almost every day, over and over again. And what I discovered was this one God is real, because I was an atheist before that, didn't even believe in God. But I discovered actually... It takes a lot of faith to believe there isn't a God. <laughs> and I, I became convinced there was one. Then I, then I became even more convinced of God when I realized who Jesus was and what he did. How Jesus came to this world, spent his time among the broken, the lost people, and then allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. And it just got a hold of my heart. And I thought, this is real? This is God doing this? And then as I realized that, sitting on a train one morning when I was 19 years of age, so as you can tell, at least five years ago, and on and on and on. Sitting on the train one morning, um, I, I just prayed the first time in my life I'd ever prayed. And this is simply what I said to God, because I was just overwhelmed by his love. And I prayed, here's my life, do what you want with it. That was it. Didn't even say amen. Didn't know you're supposed to say amen, to so let God know you've finished. <laughs> I just said, here's my life, do what you want with it. And I felt different in that moment. I felt as if God had come to be part of me. And I wanted the whole world to know about Jesus, everybody. Everybody in the world, I wanted to know about Jesus. Then I went to church, and that was weird, because all these people were very used to church and what they did, and I didn't have any idea what you did in church. And they used, to, they used to do the same things every week. They used to sing songs and listen to sermons and then go home. And I, I, I stole a Bible from the church, but God has forgiven me, so it's all good. I did give it back after a couple of years anyway. And then after I, after I looked at the Bible and read the New Testament over and over and over and over again, I had a big question. And that's what really ended up with the rooftop being launched years and years, decades after that. And my big question was this. When we look at Jesus, 
and we see what he did. He was among the people, bringing good news to people, broken, lost, desperate, hurting people. And he kept saying to people that thought they were useless and hopeless, there's good news for you. The kingdom of God is near. He kept saying that, didn't he? And I saw it all the time. And then I used to go to church and they would come in and sing and pray and listen to sermons and everything was behind closed doors. And, and I thought, how did what Jesus did ever become what we're doing? Surely we should be about reaching these lost people outside. That's what Jesus did all the time. And a vision grew in my heart all those years ago, which I guess all these years later is now being expressed through this thing called the rooftop. That every single person that calls themselves a follower of Jesus must be about saying, yes, Jesus, I'll join you in your mission. Because the mission of Jesus is the greatest news the world has ever seen. <laughs> there's nothing like it. Let me tell you that again. There's nothing like it. And every single one of us sitting in this building today, aligned with Christians all across the world, has the opportunity to join Jesus in that mission. And that's what I want to speak about a little bit today. If you've got a Bible, you might want to open it to John chapter 3. You'll know this verse, some of you, pretty well, I think. I'm opening it up so I can read it, but I don't really need to because I know it anyway. But you will too, perhaps. But maybe not all of you, but John chapter 3, verse 16. Have you heard of that verse before? Yeah. Yeah. And now you're thinking, oh man, what's he going to say from that verse? I've heard this verse so many times, there's nothing new there. John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm just going to read that one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Now, I'm going to pick just one little word out of that verse today. Just one. One word. And I'm going to spend the next four or five hours. Oh, no, sorry, no. The next 30 minutes, sorry, speaking about it. We haven't got four or five hours. I'm, I'm, I'm flying home today back to England, yes. So I, I can't be too long. But I want to pick one word out of that verse and then just really draw from that word something which I hope for every one of us today will be an inspiration for what it means for every single one of us to know who Jesus is and, and actually join him in his mission. So which, which word do you think I'm going to go for? Whoever? Love? Everyone? Believes? Huh? Gave? No. Oh. Okay, God? No. Okay, here's the word I'm going to go for. All good guesses. They're all great words. Perhaps, as you're saying, I think perhaps I should have chosen that one. Now, the word I'm going to pick out of that, that John chapter 3, verse 16, and spend a little while just looking at it, is a very small word. It just has two letters in it. And the word is so. God so loved the world. Not just God loved the world, so he sent his son, but God so. Do you get it? Just feel it. Can you feel it kind of? God so loved the world. Not just he loves it a little bit. Not reluctantly, not passively, but so. It's like big. God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. And that's, that's, that to me is an inspiration. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want you to know something you may have never known before, but God loves you so much. Even if you don't believe it, I'm telling you it's true. God loves you so much. And if you are a Christian here this morning, I want to remind you of something. And it's this, God loves the world so much that we've got to do something about it. So let me just pick on that little word, so. And let me, let me go somewhere else. Let me just jump off of John chapter 3, verse 16 into another verse in the Bible, which just shows how much that so really means. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Well, this, this Romans 5 verse 8 begins to unpack how much this little word so really means. God so. Have you, have you, have you ever 
Let me ask you a question. You don't answer this question because it would be embarrassing. But have you ever met someone and said to them, oh, I love you so much? Have you ever done that? You know, it's beyond, isn't it? It's not just I love you, it's I love you so much. It's like, and when you love someone so much, it kind of makes you start doing stupid things, don't you? You know, because your love is so deep and so real, it takes you beyond the normal. That's what the word so does. It takes you beyond the normal. And then when you get to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we begin to see something which I think only the Holy Spirit of God can really help us to see and fully understand. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. God demonstrates his love for us in this. So it's that little so, remember? God so loved the world. This is how God demonstrates his love. And this is why we can see how much love he's got, why it's so much, you see? God demonstrates his love for us in this. Now listen to these next few words. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's just think about that while we were still sinners for a moment, can we? And then we begin to get an understanding of why this message of Jesus is so good and so powerful and can change our lives and through us change the world. Because when we begin to look at it, while we were still sinners, here's the thing, let me be honest with you, I find it easy to like people that are likable. Do you? People that are kind, yeah, I like them. People that are hospitable, I like them. People that are generous, I like them. People that are happy, I like them. People that never do anything bad, I like all of those people. I love those people, don't you? But what about the people that are not like that? People that are mean. People that are greedy. People that are violent. People that are nasty. People that live lives that you think, man, how do they live? Do you know what I'm saying? What about those people? See, here's the thing. I think most of us, when it comes to loving people, we actually love most people conditionally. We love people if there's something to love about them, don't we? But when there's not much to love about them, most of us find it really difficult to love them. And what we do is often we either punish them or stay away from them or just ignore them completely. Do you understand what I'm saying? We love people if they're lovely. But here's the amazing thing, and I just pray that God the Holy Spirit will take my little words from my little mouth, speaking proper English, <laughs> and translate them into American, and then translate them through American into your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, so we can just see how profoundly wonderful this truth is, that God loved the world so much that he demonstrated his love like this while we were still sinners. Because that is completely, totally unnatural. It's supernatural. And yet, here's the thing. Here's the great thing. It's true. But, but you see, it being true, a lot of people don't think of it that way. They don't see it that way. I was in, um, I was in El Salvador a few years ago. I traveled many, many countries around the world. I was in El Salvador. And I was speaking in a church. And... Um, it was a small church, nothing like as big as this one. <clears throat> and um, I was speaking on this whole thing about God love and, and how Jesus brings the kingdom of God near to people. And as I was doing it, I got down from the platform and I began just to walk around the church. And I said, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. He said that. The kingdom of God is near. That's what he said. And I said, this is what Jesus did. He kept bringing the kingdom of God near to people. He would walk up to people. 
And many of these people that he would walk up to would feel ashamed and sinful and bad and dirty people. But Jesus would look them in the face. He would fist bump them if he ever did that. He probably didn't, but you know what I mean. And then he would look them in the face and he'd say, I've got good news for you. And some of these people wouldn't even look at him because they were so ashamed. But he said, I've got good news for you. The kingdom of God is near. And I was walking around this building and I was doing that. And I walked right to the back. And sitting by the entrance door, because the entrance door was at the back, was this young man. I didn't know him. I'd never seen him in my life before. I walked over to him and I said, I've got good news for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how ashamed you feel. Whatever you've done in your life, I want you to know something today. God says to you, my kingdom is near and I love you. She said it to him. And I walked off and said to somebody else and somebody else. I didn't have any idea. At the end of my talk that day, I stood back at the front of the church building and I said, anyone who really feels they want to respond to this message today to really know God's love, just come talk to me. He was there. I hadn't even finished speaking. He'd run. Literally, he ran to the front. And so we sat down, he and I, and my translator, because he spoke Spanish, habló poquito, poco español, but not very much. So we spoke in English and we translated to each other and he spoke to me in Spanish and we talked to him. And I said, why did you come running to the front? What happened? And he looked at me and he was only a young guy, but his face was just covered with, with just worn expression of just being loaded way down with something. And, and I said, what is it? And he looked at me and he said, pastor, he said, ever since I was a boy, people have always told me that I'm bad, that I'm not good enough. Always. People always tell me I'm not good enough. So as I grew up, I decided if I'm not good, I'm not going to be good. I'll do what they tell me. I'll be bad. So I started being bad. And all the time, we said when I got into drugs and alcohol and women and all the things I got into, he said, I always knew I was being bad. And he said, I thought God said to me, you're so bad, I could never love you. He said, but this morning I was walking by. And he said, I don't even know why, but I walked in this building and I sat down at the very back. And then there was you walking around the place and you walked up to me and you fist bumped me, whatever that is in Spanish, and you fist bumped me and you said to me something I'd never heard before. You told me that even though I get things wrong, God has good news for you. God loves me, he said. And that's the first time anybody's ever told me that. I said, so what do you want to do? He said, I want to be changed. I want to be different. I want to be the person God wants me to be. I said, so let's sit, let's pray, let's do something about that right now. And we sat there. And all the time he'd been speaking to me, he was looking down. All the time, looking down. He was too ashamed to look up. He wouldn't even look me in the face. So I said, you pray. I'm not going to pray the words for you. You pray. You, you talk to this God and just grab hold of this great truth that he loves you. Just do that, would you? And he prayed. Unfortunately, I could understand quite a bit of what he was saying because my Spanish is better when I'm listening than when I'm speaking. And basically what he said to God was, God, here's it, everything. He just poured it all out, everything. His shame, his guilt, everything. Everything he had, he just poured it out to God. And he kept thanking God that even though he was a sinner, God loved him. <laughs> And then he, he said to Jesus, I want, I want my life to be what you want it to be. I want to give it to you. I want to follow you and live my life for you. Amen. And then he finished. And then, have you ever had a moment like this in your life? And then, having prayed the prayer, 
For the first time that whole day, he looked up. Just, I, I wish I could have taken a picture of your face just then, madam, because he looked up. And when he looked up, his face was completely different. That heavy, weighed down, this kind of look, he looked up. And his face just beamed. It was like this big smile on it. And I said, has anything happened to you? And I didn't need to ask, really, because I could see it. And he said, yes, look. He knew. He knew. He just knew that this God loved him. He, here's the thing. And this is the thing I really want us to grab a hold of in here, and it's this. God's love is not conditional upon people becoming good enough for them to receive it. Can I just say that one more time? God's love is not conditional upon people, upon people being good enough to receive it. Here's the challenge, friends, for us as Christian people, and even as not Christian people, many of us think that it is conditional. We think it's only for the good people. It's only for the people that are like us. But actually, here's the truth. This is the most amazing... It's just, I can't even think of a word to describe how amazing it is, but this is it. God shows his love, demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Let me tell you one other quick story, if I can, which demonstrates that. I told you I became a Christian. I was 19 years old when I became a Christian. Um, and when I became, I didn't even know I'd become a Christian, by the way. I didn't even know what Christians were. I just knew I was a God person who loved Jesus. That was it. I didn't, know, didn't know, even know what I was called. I, I, so I went home after work that night, and I told my parents what I'd done and my family. My mum thought it was quite sweet. Well, that's nice. Just don't become a priest. My older brother thought I'd gone mad. My half-brother thought I was... He didn't care less. He was eight years old. Who cares when you're eight years old what your 19-year-old brother does? My stepfather was mean and nasty, and he hated it and wanted me to leave the house because I'd brought religion into the home. He used to drink a lot. When he got drunk, he got violent and... Smashed things up. I remember I had two cars that I loved that I bought when I was, when I was nine years old. I had my first job and I earned money doing a paper round. And I bought, bought myself things. I bought myself these two little Hot Wheels cars. I loved those little Hot Wheels cars. One was red, one was purple. I used to let them down the big track. And one day he came in with the pub drunk and he saw my cars on the floor and he just stamped on them both. I've never forgotten that. And I tell you, when I was nine years old, I hated him for doing that. He was me. He was nasty. He was rotten. My mum became a Christian at my baptism. He hated that. Then my older brother became a Christian. He hated that. Then my half-brother became a Christian. He really hated that. And he got drunk more. And he used to beat my mum up. He used to, he used to like hit her over the head with high heel shoes. My mum's very small like me. But when she puts her hair up and her shoes on, she looks really tall. I always say she loses a foot at the end of every day when she lets her hair down and takes her shoes off. But my dad used to bang her over the head with these high heel shoes. He was, he was mean. He was a nasty, rotten man. He really was. One day, after years of being a Christian, my mum prayed a prayer. She said, God sought out my marriage, and the next day he left her. He said he was going off with another woman because she wasn't any fun anymore. And then he came back about three months later, and he said, I want to come back. And she said, well, I've still got my religion. He said, so I'm not going to come back. So he went away again. And then he came back again. And he said, I want to come back. I want to be with you. And she said, I've still got my religion. He said, well, can we do a deal? She said, what's that? He said, if... Um, if you come to the pub with me on a Saturday night, I'll come to church with you on a Sunday morning. They started doing it. She would go to the pub with him on a Saturday night. She didn't drink alcohol. She didn't get drunk. She drank orange juice. He went to church with her on a Sunday morning. 
After a number of months of doing this, a friend of mine was preaching there one day and he told this story during his sermon. He said, if you were a, a rock or a mountain climber and you were climbing up a mountain and you got halfway up the mountain and you got stuck, you couldn't go back down and couldn't go on, what, what would you do if a helicopter came by and let down a ladder and said, climb on it? And as, as my dad heard this, it struck him that that was like a picture of his life. See, he looked back over his life, what he'd done already, the climb so far, and he wanted to change himself, but he couldn't. He didn't want to be violent, drunkard, beating people up, having affairs every day. He didn't want to be that. But he couldn't change himself. He just couldn't change himself. He didn't have the power to change himself. He had the desire, but he didn't have the power. And when he looked forward in his life to where he was going, what he was going to do with the rest of his life, he wanted to be a good bloke, as we say in England, from a mum. He wanted to be all right. He wanted to not do those bad things. But he knew, he just knew that he would not be able to change as much as he wanted to. And when my friend David, his name was, who was preaching that sermon that day, told that story, what struck my dad was this, that he realized that he, even though he didn't have the power to change, there was a rescue for him. There was a way out. After that sermon, they had communion in the church. I wasn't there. I found out this later on. They had communion in the church, and um, whenever they pass the communion, the way they do it in England, they pass these things around, and people take a cup out and a little bit of bread, and they have the bread and the wine. It's, it's, it's similar, but different to how you do it here. And um, whenever it used to go by him, my mum would sit next to him holding his hand, and he would always sit on her right-hand side. They, he would always pass it on to her very quickly, because he didn't take it. But what, this morning, after that sermon, she, she was a bit surprised, because it stopped in front of him. And then it came to her, and she thought, what's he doing? And then after it had been passed on and they took the, the bread and the wine, she was quite surprised to feel lots of wet stuff on her hand. And she thought, what is he doing? Is he pouring it over me? Because <laughs> you know? honestly, nothing would have surprised you of what he did because he was so aggressively against religion. But then she looked out the corner of her eyes. She tried not to look at him because she didn't want to make him feel too self-conscious. She looked at and this is what she saw. His eyes were just pouring with tears. And the tears were gathering on his chin and then falling onto her hand. <laughs> that's why her hand was wet. After that morning service they had at that church, he came to my house. We lived not far from there. I'd been preaching in the church. I was pastor of at the time. He knocked on the door and I opened the door and there he was standing at my door on his own. And my first question was, where's mum? He never came to see me on his own, ever. And he said, oh, she's at home cooking dinner. I said, well, what do you want? He said, can I come in? I said, yeah. So when he came in, he sat down. Remember, I was a pastor of a church by this time, a very serious Christian. He sat down. And he looked at me and he said, I've got something to tell you. I said, what is it? And he said, I've become a Christian. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> really? He said, yeah. Let me tell you, after he made that decision to become Christian, his life began to change out of all recognition. Amen. When he died at 57 years of age of cancer, a long time ago now, I remember him sitting in his hospital bed just before he died, looking so pathetic because he put on so much weight with all the tablets and everything else. He was literally a dying man. My aunt, she sat, she looked at him across the table. She's not a Christian. She looked at me, she said, Cyril, I feel so sorry for you. And he looked back at her and he said, love, he said, don't feel sorry for me. I know where I'm going. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. My dad, 
stepdad. I call him dad now. I didn't at first. My dad. If you're allowed to use bad words in church, there's lots I could use to describe what he was like, but I'm not going to do it so I don't offend you. But you can imagine, he was all those and more. But let me tell you something. Even though he was all those words that describe the worst person you can imagine, let me tell you this truth. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes. Yes. Isn't that good news? No, no, no. no. Isn't that good news? How good is that news? And here's the thing. Listen, that's not even the end of it. I've only got another two hours to go. No, just a few minutes. I'm going to overrun by a couple of minutes. Is that okay? Because here's the thing. When it says, while we were still sinners, that's, that's, that's big. But then, when you look at what he did for those that are still sinners, you realize just how big, this little word, so, is such a big word. Do you see what I'm saying? Because this is what it said. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners. It doesn't say he kissed us on the cheek. It doesn't say he bought us a box of chocolates. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what it says. Christ died for us. He laid down his very life for people that are dirty and filthy and rotten. He gave himself the biggest thing you can ever give. He literally laid down his life. Now, I look at you. I don't know any of you very well. You look nice people. Madam, you look like a very nice, kind person. And you are. Why is he shaking his head? No, he's not. (laughs) He didn't. I promise you he didn't. I don't want to cause a family rift. You look a very nice, but can I say something to you, not to offend you? I probably wouldn't die for you. And you look back at me and you think, well, Dennis, I like your accent, but I probably wouldn't die for you either. Let's be real. There's nobody probably in this building. I might, I might die for my wife on a good day. <laughs> my children, I have three children, yeah, and I've got one grandson and one coming. So, yeah. But that's probably about the list, if I'm honest. Here's why. To die for someone, you've got to love them a lot. Haven't you? Yeah? You don't die for someone just because it's like a, yeah, it's a Saturday afternoon. I bet time I died for somebody today. You don't do that, do you? If you die for someone, it's because you love them with everything you've got. And here's the amazing, great truth of the gospel, and it's this. God loves us with everything he's got. And the good news of the gospel is this. God does not love us conditionally like we tend to love other people. He does not say, get everything sorted out and then you can come to me. He says, just as you are, whatever mess, whatever state, whatever situation you are in, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever it is, however bad you feel, you only need one qualification to receive God's love and it's this, to know that you're a sinner. You haven't got to pretend you're not. You haven't got to put on a show. You haven't got to do anything. You've just got to be willing to come to God and say, God, this is me, messed up just as I am. And here's the good news that God says, I love you so much, I died for you so you can be forgiven. See, someone has to pay you the price for sin. They have to. And this is the amazing thing. We don't have to pay it. Because Jesus paid it for us. So what do we do with that? This sermon is called So. God 
So, love the world. So, what do we do? What does that mean for us? Well, I began by talking about the mission of Jesus being this great news that the world needs to hear. Some of us here this morning, I'm guessing, I don't know, I don't know anybody here apart from Vicky and Marin. Some of us, we don't even know this God in a real way. God isn't real in our lives. We don't know him. And perhaps you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not good enough for God. You know, my life's too much. If God knew what I was really like, he'd never love me. Can I say something to you? He does and he does. And he wants you to know that love. And you have to receive it. He wants you to do that. And the way we receive God's love is by doing what the Bible calls repent. Repent doesn't mean tell God we're filthy and still think we are. What repent means is, God, I know what I'm like. I'm going to turn away from it and you're going to help me. So if you're here this morning thinking God couldn't possibly love you, let me tell you, God definitely does. And he's waiting for you to do that. But there are many, many more of us here this morning who already are Christians. We know this truth. I haven't said anything this morning you don't know. (laughs) But here's the thing. We sometimes forget, as Christians, that God so loves the world. We forget that this mission of Jesus is for these people who don't deserve to be loved. And we we, we allow ourselves to think that, well, you know, we're good people now. We come to church. We're good and we're not like all them. (laughs) But all them, they're the ones that God so loves. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? And what we can do is we can become so so used to being in church and doing Christian things and being part of this Christian thing that we actually forget there's a mission that Jesus is on. He wants us to join him in. And that mission is to let the world know that God loves it so much. So that the broken and the sinful and the lost and the desperate and all these people around us, and even some of them live in big houses and mansions and have got big cars in their drive, they're not all poor people by human standards in terms of wealth, but they're poor in life. These people need to know that God loves them. And the only way they're going to find out is if somebody tells them. And that includes us, doesn't it? So this is why I'd like to finish our talk this morning. I don't know how you normally finish your services. I never like the word services because service begins when we leave. Your gatherings is a word I prefer. But I'd like us to do something perhaps you normally do or perhaps you've never done, I don't, I don't know before. But I'd like, I'd like to invite every single one of you to respond this morning. Not just people to respond for the first time, although I do invite you to respond for the first time. But I'd like, I'd like you to imagine something. I'd like you just to think about this. I'd like you to think that this area at the front of the church, right, all this area down here, and some of you are way back because that's a long wall, but this area at the front here, this is a zone where we're saying, I'm going to come into this zone to say, I'm going to be on mission with Jesus. And I'm going to make sure that this love of God, which people need to hear because it's such a big love, I'm going to make sure that I play my part, whatever it is, in helping people to find out who this Jesus is. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you please if you'd stand, if you would stand up. I don't want any music, not yet, or any emotion, not yet, just an act of the will. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are willing to say Jesus... I want to join you in your mission to make sure that the people I know realize that you love them so much. 
I want to say this morning, yes, I want to join you in that mission. So without any emotion, what I'd like to ask you to do, if you're willing to say yes to that, is just leave where you're standing and come and stand down the front here. Just come and stand at the front. Just come. Fill up this area at the front. Just keep, come down. From wherever you are. This could be a little bit messy, but that's okay. Messy is good. Well, by coming to the front, you're saying, you're taking steps, and you're saying, Jesus, I want to join you in that mission. Jesus, I realize this faith that I've got is personal, but it's not private. I don't want to be selfish with it. I want to share it. I want other people to know about this Jesus. And as you stand, as you're walking, if we can't get to the front, then just get as far as you can. Actually, there's, there is space. If these people will just come forward, that's great. Thank you. As you, as you get to where the final place you can reach, as far as you can get to the front, could I ask you just to close your eyes and raise your arms to the air? And as you do that, just look out beyond the walls of this building. In your mind, I mean. You can't see through the walls, but just think beyond them. And think about people that you know. They might be your family. They might be your friends. They might be people you work with. They might be people that you play sport with or something. Whatever. People... Think about people that you know who don't know Jesus. And as you think about those people that you know that don't know Jesus, ask God to break your heart with what breaks his when he thinks about those people. And ask God to do something in your heart that will help you to love them so much that you're willing to share truth with them. Now, I'd like to ask you to do this as you do that. That's why I said raise your arms to heaven. Because what I'd like to ask you to do is rather than do that quietly, I don't, if I was at home, I'd say, let's be un-British. But as I'm here, I'd say, let's be un-American <laughs> or un-whatever nation you're from. Raise your arms as high as you can and pray these words out aloud. Say them aloud. Say them. Ask God now. Let's all pray together. One big noisy cacophony of sound. Let's all pray together and ask God to break our hearts for these people. Let's pray. And now would you open your eyes, keep your, keep your hands up in the air, open your eyes and look around at all the other people. Just look at the other people. We're one church with one mission. And let's just pray, just, you don't have to use words now, just, just pray for all the people you can see and pray that what you're praying will be true for them too. 
that we as the church here will share the truth that God so loves the world. Father, hear our prayer, we pray. We stand here with our arms raised to you. You are the greatest, the best, the everything. The gospel is the greatest news in the world. Thank you, Jesus, that we stand here and receive that gospel. Help me, help us, help each person standing here now to be so filled with you that this city will be changed as people come to know the truth. God demonstrates his love in this. While people are still sinners, Christ died for them. Amen. Amen. Let me hear you. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you.